welcome to the very first episode of New Media and Politics. My name is Isaac Alfaro and I will be discussing how social media or new media has greatly impacted political discourse, political reforms, anything to do with politics compared to older media such as TV, radios, and newspapers. So come along and let's get started. What a year has, I'd say the last decade has been for social media, especially within the last five years with major political figures across the world. The most prominent, probably Trump himself, have used Twitter or other social media platforms to reach their goals of reaching political power within a country. And it's crazy how... Their ideas have pulled such a large minority, people who usually never get involved in politics, usually because the spiral of silence, which is because they feel like they're in the minority, they choose not to speak up against the opposing view or people of the different political party. But these people that haven't voted or haven't gotten too vocal about their viewpoints, all of a sudden started speaking up and showing this massive wave of support for Donald Trump, which really pushed his campaign to winning the election in 2016. Since the founding of our country, it would be wrong for us to assume that politics as a whole has never been deceitful or shady, even with how it interacts with other countries or even the people of their own country. The United States is no exception to this. I would say it wasn't until this recent election, though, that we've kind of reached the pinnacle of how much we can really push the truth or stretch these false lies to really get what we want. And I think that's what Trump really managed to pull off this election was how he used the most eye-catching sound bites um, or pieces of information that would attract people who usually don't get too involved in politics and cause them to join his side. So then we jump to the question as to why has this become such a big problem in the last couple of years or decade even. And... So for that, we'd have to refer to the ontology of hybrid media and where it began and how it is doing today. We discussed it as being the formation of how new media, such as social media, has used older versions of media, such as TV, the radio, or newspapers, and how it kind of uses it to answer any questions that new media cannot answer. In a way, it's a sort of reliant relationship that it currently has, and it wouldn't really work without the older and vice versa. So you're probably wondering, what does new media even mean? Well, we've come to a general definition of it as being communication between technologies that enable user-to-user interactivity and information 
And it has turned from one-to-many communications into many-to-many. So, for example, um, on Facebook, you would see a post about breaking news that, like, Trump has released a new policy or the increasing tensions in the Middle East. You now get the ability to interact with that post and share your opinion rather than um, having to physically meet somewhere every time these breaking news happens and discuss it with other people who have the same concept or viewpoint that you have or even different. So a big problem that we've discussed that comes along with having this many-to-many form of communication through social media is how we no longer have the resources to weed out what's wrong and to all come to a general consensus as to the right answer. So now the notion of having a very deliberate, uh, rationally mannered and respectful democratic discussion amongst opposing sides, we are losing that through having this many-to-many platforms of communications. No longer do we need to hide our true opinions uh, against the majority, but now we have a good number of minority people who can join together and form a larger group. A common, for instance, a common example you can think of is of the neo-Nazis here in America and how they form a rally of other like-minded individuals to come together and form these protests. It's through social media that we get this formation of extremists or or radicals even in both sides of the political spectrum to join forces and really cause um, something to happen. Usually in like order media such as TV, newspapers, um, even radio, you would need to put forth effort into getting a larger group of people to join you and the movement that you're trying to start. Um, But usually you would have to go through a process of talking to other people and then sharing your opinions and then they would give their opinions as to why it's wrong. But we've kind of lost that in new media. Without this uh, balance and check system that was enabled by older media, we no longer have a true sense of what a democratic discussion should necessarily be. Or we have certain spurts of radicalism and violence occurring more frequently because we're enabling extremists really to find more like-minded individuals and cause these events. This whole notion as well is more of a gray line as to what we should allow to be discussed on social media and what we shouldn't be allowed to discuss on social media because the primary reason for why social media was created was to share or to connect with others, whether it be through similar likes, interests, or even having similar peoples of interest is how this network gets created. 
we lose that sense of having a free or real democratic form of social media, which makes it really popular. So then you kind of get back to the idea of what an unedited public sphere social media has become. Um, An article we read by Homer Zuniga kind of touched on the solution, which would be to have certain influencers flex their power in social media to help balance all the falsehoods that there currently are with their truth. Going back to the neo-Nazi protests, uh, we saw a New York Times article who kind of did a piece on how wrong their whole movement was and even like their leaders and how their entire position was just on a very shaky foundation. But that didn't gain as much attention or attract it even as did the protests themselves. So we kind of get to the question, what can we do without uh, disenfranchising everybody of their civil liberties, such as freedom of speech or I guess the liberties that come along with social media? But how... How, in the same way, do we reduce these radical or very hurtful ideas from spreading and allowing them to become a physical event? So then we have to start thinking about solutions on how to regain that sense of a truly democratic discourse on social media platforms. How do we achieve this? One solution, and I think this could be probably made the strongest case for, is to grab everybody with the opposing viewpoints and just throw them all in jail. That way they won't be able to speak or give their opinions about anything and we can move on with our lives. Of course, that's in a metaphorical sense, but in a more literal sense, there's a bunch of different options that we could go about in terms of how to censor these radical, um, really ideas that don't add anything to a discussion and really highlight concepts or people's opinions that should be heard because that's the whole idea of what social media is and why it should be used. So one of the common solutions to combating this problem would be to incorporate a quote uh algorithm of sorts that would catch and censor posts or misleading articles that way it is exposed to less people out in social media another would be to use such as Zuniga said uh influencers and really emphasizing the research and work that they put into an article or a piece that way more people are exposed to the truth and a conversation a more healthy conversation can take about afterwards and by incorporating that solution or any other really that comes about i think it's just most important to understand that at the end of the day social media will be social media But there needs to be some sort of a line or a boundary set between politics. There's a reason why we 
always refer to the founding fathers as the ones who wrote the Constitution, and it's not the people who wrote the Constitution in a sense. Only a select few are actually capable enough to understand the political uh, ties and severity that something can do. And I'm not trying to discourage people from giving any input to their nearest city delegate or have any say about politics, really. But I definitely believe it's important for us to look at the people who are most knowledgeable and credible to give, make strong cases for or against any party, political or not. Um, as always, I appreciate you guys tuning in. And I catch you guys on the next one. Peace.